Welcome to Anuka Talks, where we unpack challenges and explore the vast opportunities that emerging markets hold in a succinct and digestible manner. The podcast was created as a result of industry-shaping conversations that we felt needed to fall upon more years. Today, we'll be speaking with Diana Mungare. Diana is one of the rising stars when it comes to investment facilitation for SMEs in East Africa. She currently works at Future Africa, helping startups get investment ready, and is also a founding member of the Nairobi Business Angel Network. And on the podcast today, we'll be exploring the angel network a bit further, which is called Naiban. We'll discuss the need for a stronger local funding ecosystem, uh, capital raising, tips for startups, the funding disparity between male and female founders, um, as well as keeping African talent in Africa. I hope you enjoy as much as I did. Hi, Diana. How are you? Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks so much for obviously coming on to the podcast. Of course. And there are a bunch of interesting topics, of course, that we're going to be discussing. But I guess just to dive right into it, it would be great if maybe you could start by giving us a bit of an introduction to yourself. But really, I think what I'm really interested in understanding is you know, how you kind of found your way into the investment facilitation space in Africa Mm -hmm. and, you know, what you find particularly interesting about it. Mm -hmm. Great. No, um, yeah, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, I'd say in terms of, yeah, mostly worked um, within the investment facilitation space for most of my career. Um, Probably landed into it uh, by chance. So after university, I was quite keen to you know, move back to Kenya from the US, um, work very closely with businesses. And so I started off my career at Cross Foundry, where I advised different entrepreneurs on their fundraising process, and then also provided due diligence support for investors who often didn't have as good of a view of, of you know, how businesses run in, in, in Africa. And, you know, while there, I was almost I would always get attached to a lot of the kind of the businesses and and the struggle and the process of of raising money and just seeing all the challenges that existed and you know this was probably like maybe 2017 2018 when a lot of the funders were mostly on the P side less so of a VC ecosystem and I think I'd probably picked up the concept of angel investing from while well, I was in the US and I think would often tell my colleagues across Foundry I I want to start angel investing and with my like two shillings um, because it, it just needed more more, more founders to um, get capital. And so that also kind of pushed me to make that transition also into into investing. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of made, then made that switch and moved to LGT Venture Philanthropy, which is a family office focused on um, investing in, in the climate space as well as education and, and healthcare but also kind of stuck to that promise of wanting to get into angel investing. And so was one of the founding members of the Nairobi Business Angels Network um, but that has now grown to about 80 members and I think invested $400,000 in its first year of operation. Um, and then also joined kind of the leadership team of, of Harbour Capital, which is a syndicate fund made of Kenyan, young Kenyan professionals um, who have kind of extra cash and looking to see how to invest it in in alternative ways, um, and those basically alternative ways being either funding through startups, working capital for businesses, and so being able to run that that opportunity 
kind of sourcing process and, and also getting the same professionals who have skill sets in different places to um, use their skills to improve these businesses in one way or another. Um, yeah, and let's say, I guess that investing journey now has culminated to me joining um, Future Africa, which is mm-hmm. an early stage investing fund uh, based in based you know, in in Nairobi now, but yeah, focused on pan African. And yeah, I think for me, just the driver has always been um, there's just so much potential f- within Africa for businesses, and it, you know, just there's a lot we could do in terms of sol- solving for inefficiencies across all sectors through technology and um, through its like innovative business thinking. And so um, I'm always very excited to be inspired by founders and the different things that they're working in and yeah, working on and, you know, then playing a role in helping them achieve their, their, their dreams and their visions. Okay, perfect. And I definitely will come back to, you know, your current role and how you're helping these young founders and young businesses, you know, get investment ready. But I guess taking it back to the Nairobi Business Angel Network, that that was super interesting. And like you mentioned, you were a founding member of it. So it, it might be useful just to understand a bit more about, you know, the purpose behind the network, but also what role you feel such networks maybe play in the broader investment facilitation space. Mm-hmm. Good question. Um, so I guess in terms of the motivation, um, obviously I met kind of the guy who had the idea, his name is Nick, um, and the motivation there is that a lot of the, f- and I think you probably know this, is that a lot of the funding that we we get in, in the Kenyan ecosystem is, is foreign, which basically means then that, you <clears throat> um, know, so yeah, foreign foreign investments and also then probably coming in from like seed stage moving forward, um, but then you know in other more bigger um bigger ecosystems like the US, people have their friends and their families doing those kind of initial first rounds, which then just gives them that initial kick, um and you know a lot of businesses do fail in those first one or two years of operation due to that lack of funding, and so the motivation for creating Nibban was yeah bringing together different actors of the ecosystem, you know, investors who know the industry and how to run due diligences, you know, the, the tech founders who, you know, just know what needs to, to be done for a business to be successful and, you know, together then get to, you know, support all the different up-and-coming up startups that we see in our ecosystem, um, provide that, like, initial capital, and then from there see how we can also open other doors from whoever has you know, different levels of partnerships or relationships across um, across the um, across the ecosystem. So I'd say, yeah, that was probably the kind of that, that motivation and what's been um, keeping us going. Um, yeah. Okay, and you, you touched upon there kind of the, I guess the dependency mod- model on foreign capital that was one of the big points for actually starting the network. And mm-hmm. it's funny you say that because I, I recently came across I think it was an article that mentioned that seven, around 70% of fintech startups um, are kind of fine in Africa financed by companies that aren't based on the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess from your perspective, what are your thoughts on, you know, relying on that foreign capital? Maybe initially the continent does need it and does need the expertise, but in the long term, do you feel like it's a reliable model and what can be done maybe to change that kind of proportion of, you know, foreign capital versus local capital yeah um I, yeah i don't think it's sustainable um i think at one point or another um there is going to be 
yeah, a need for a strengthened uh, local ecosystem. I think things are already changing, as I said, obviously, with, you know, that one, like, different angel groups, uh, different city kids coming up. Um, I think a lot of also kind of manufacturing conglomerates are also looking to bring in that kind of corporate VC arm or, you know, maybe like the Sands or like family offices are also, um, um, <clears throat> yeah, begin to, 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 to invest there. Um, I think time will, will change also as I guess the kind of, the current generation also gets older and like realizes that they're, they're just other assets that could be invested in other than land, real estate, which is like kind of at the core of what people invest in in, in Kenya. Um, and so, you know, we've also asked like what needs to, 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 to change or what needs to happen. I think it's probably more increased, you know, sensitization um, on, on angel investing. Um, really for everyone who's kind of aware of, of it, then pulling in the other friends or, or, or kind of networks to to consider this as a, as a, as a viable investment, as a viable investment um, opportunity. Um, I think on maybe on, on the government reform side, there, um, there aren't particularly like laws that protect um, kind of local early stage investors into startups, but there, there are also no laws that would hurt them. So it's a bit of like a, yeah. of a gray area. Um, but also, you know, I think investing kind of requires a lot of noise. And I think culturally, where we just like to keep our investments, you know, kind of silent and like, you know, making it happen. So um, I, I think there's probably going to be a, be a need of balance of one that like kind of that environment, investing environment also being enhanced to encourage people to think of this as other as, as other assets uh, from a policy level. But then and then that also can create a sense of like, you know, people being proud and like sharing and like share, sharing and both the info, yeah, information about how to get into that space further. Okay, understood. And, you know, w- with your experience, of course, working with founders who have successfully gone out there and raised capital, mm-hmm. are there any, I guess, success stories that really stand out to you and anything that you can point towards and go, you know, you feel these are the reasons why they set themselves up for success, whether that's making the noise in the market that they needed to make mm-hmm. or ultimately putting together um, a, a solution or a proposal that was, you know, too hard for people to look elsewhere. What, what do you feel are the kind of the, the key things that companies or startups need to be showing the market? Uh, I see. I mean, I, I'm definitely a fan of a lot of startups. I'm not going to probably pull on one specifically, but, um, you know, I think reflecting on that question, I think two things um, I think are kind of the anchors for, for me. I think one is really understanding your business model. Um, I think there's a bit of a, of, of, of a trap um, that exists in, in, you know, building a, a venture in building a venture backed or venture backing viable business. Right. Um, but then that can take away from just, at the kind of at the end of the day, bottom line, unit economics. Does this make sense to build? Is there you know does does the financial sense for it make sense? Um, I think that just becomes increasingly important. You know, in the Series A, Series B, where that's where our companies start to, to start to struggle. Um, but then, I think the beauty of um, Kenyan that can I think the Kenyan entrepreneurial mentality, where it's like most people 
prior to you know the day of venture capital just wanted to build businesses that bring money that make sense the margins are are good right and they're stable and so if you have that mentality even as you're building a venture uh kind of venture focused business then it means your margins will be will always be on the right side right you 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 wouldn't be just like a money sinking machine right um and i think that's something that definitely is is useful for for being able to raise capital and raise it successfully and help then have it be useful for the next stage. Um, I think the second part is also on, the, on storytelling. Um, you know, I think people really understanding the why um, and kind of five levels deep on like why why they're doing this and why this is important. Um, you know, once someone's really been able to understand that then and then being able to articulate it very passionately um then they can be able to bring along these investors who you know obviously at the end of the day are people and you know there's that emotional inkling to understanding why this a problem is important to be to be invested in and so i think that crafting the story is also a very important piece sure and i guess that brings you into the work that you're doing now with future africa so is a big part of your current role kind of really focusing on those two metrics that you see so important Mm-hmm. or generally kind of taking a broader view well what is what what is it that you're bringing to these businesses that take them to the point where they're ready for if whether that's series a or initial seed investment mm-hmm. yeah good question yeah i think yeah those two elements are definitely quite important um i think you know from that kind of pre-seed seed stage you know you have that idea you you're seeking out product market fit and so once you figure out okay this product fits then the next stages kind of grow 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 getting the customers getting the sales right and so they're a big portion of the things that we want to look into you know it's helping for example companies think about um new market entries um you know given that we have a stronghold in 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 Kenya Nigeria and and South Africa what that then means in terms of different introductions on the regulatory side on the um, yeah on the regular side on partnership side that that then would help this business get to the next level um then the other um pieces like i said obviously are beyond storytelling um that then is you know the exact level of coaching you know helping um businesses meet the next stage of 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 funders get feedback from there um also get feedback from us and iterate the story and get ready for that um I think also then um the last I guess back it out I think about is is on on talent you know in order to scale and and get to that point they need the right teams and so there's also been um a lot of support there in in terms of hiring kind of the the the, the team that they, that they need to get to that next level so yeah and <laughs> no <blah>. perfect <laughs> that's fine that's fine um and i guess on my end i'm obviously really interested in the talent piece because it's what i do for a living and um you know i kind of see it from many different angles whether that be large investment firms uh, smaller boutique operations or startups looking to kind of you know get get going mm-hmm. um from your end what what have you found especially with startups or smes what what have you found to be the key challenges when it comes to attracting top tier talent that's going to take them to the next level mm So I think I actually want to I I'm I want to understand this problem myself um much much further I think there's different sides to the coin um 
there's an issue of, of supply and demand. Um, so just, yeah, on the, on the supply side, um, I think if I'm to think about, for example, the Kenyan education system is not really well suited to prepare people for the workforce. People who are learning software engineering in Kenyan universities are really not um, getting what skills that they need to land the job right after they've, 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 they've graduated. So then you have people then participating in in additional programs like you know Moringa Art School and the ITC to get to that next level, right? And so the funnel just kind of reduces. Um, and so I think there's just need for increased improvement of like how people get those skills to prepare them for the workforce. Um, and then, you know, once they're then also in the workforce, there's also always challenges of, of, of you know, I guess, brain drain, depending on, you know, like in, in Nigeria, a lot of people who are well-skilled are leaving Nigeria and yeah. with opportunities. Um, in Kenya, it's, you know, the startups will have the initial talent. And then once they've really trained them up, um, they get, you know, poached by the big, kind of tech farm so then just like i guess the, the cycle continues so i think that's um yeah one one just i think just yeah trying to figure out the supply and the supply and demand side um sure. and then the last the other i guess i to look at it in just around getting the right matches obviously these um elements around how startups are telling their stories to the, to the people they're looking to hire and how they're assessing um, the, the people they're hiring are the right matches such that once you don't go through that previous and, and costly process of hiring people and then then them not being a fit, right? Um, and I think obviously that definitely is persistent or is pertinent in, 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 in many of the startups. So that I'm also interested and also, you know, these, because supply is also quite low, you know, how do startups manage their, their recruiting process? You know, how quick are they to give feedback? How quick are they to... Um, yeah, to just finalize that process. And so that I think also is something that can, I'm, I'm yet to fully understand how to solve, you know, for both sides. But um, I think are, are some of the things that I think uh, influence that talent gap. Sure. And I guess going back to the topic of, you know, talent actually leaving Africa and going and working abroad, mm. you're probably a good case study for that, where you went and, you know, studied abroad at Wharton, but ultimately, you know, made the decision that, where your passion lies um, is working in Africa, but what kind of drew you back, you know, to actually use the skills that you kind of developed over the years and actually dedicated towards the continent? Was it kind of the firm that came in for you and, like you said, the story that they sold you? Or mm-hmm. was it something else, a more of an intrinsic drive that you felt actually made you come back? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a mix. I think that the first one is that Trump became president. <laughs> Um, I mean, I joke, but definitely, it definitely changed just the environment of things there. But the second is, yeah. I think when I, yeah, when I worked in, in the U.S., the consulting at McKinsey and a lot of the projects just felt very removed, far removed from what I knew and and cared about. Um, and so it just felt difficult to relate to some of those, those projects. And so that just made it clear to me that when I work, I want to understand the dynamics of the market. I want to care about the people that I'm working for. Um, and so it just made it easy to then start looking for opportunities in, in, in Kenya. Um, and then ultimately, I think, yeah, um, really like what I guess CrossBoundary was, is, 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 was and is building. And so it made sense for for me to 
it yeah it made, it made sense as like the right decision to 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 move with them okay and kind of in terms of the sectors where you're seeing finance or money go into in africa now especially with the startup space at least from the outside it seems like a lot of focus recently has been on kind of that fintech environment um and a lot of capital has been going there but i know you're really passionate about energy um and sustainability and those topics so have you seen an increase in investment into those firms and companies as well and um is that kind of a, i guess a trend that you're seeing on the rise for the future as well yeah definitely um i think a lot of new funds are coming up with a with an climate or climate focus um i think just name a few i think e3 capital rebranded into yeah into climate focus yeah, fund yeah. um we got catalyst fund that is looking for climate resilience businesses and also is running a marine conservation um kind of venture builder called teka um i think we also have um factory also has a venture studio that they're building solutions focused on climate and just just to name a few um i think yeah people are catching on that you know climate climate adaptation is something that is going to continue to be very important for the african market because you know we're not we're not the producers of the carbon but we're definitely getting the consequence hit as as the most um and so i'm excited to see how that's that space evolves and yeah more and more funds get those commitments get interested in the space yeah definitely seeing it happening okay great and kind of leading on from there when it comes to the funding disparity or rather the funding demographic from kind of what i've seen on my end um it seems like male founding teams tend to and also from what i've read you know male founding teams i think raised a, a large portion i think it was 84% of all capital raised by startups in africa um in 2021 and there have been kind of female focused uh, funds with investing in female entrepreneurs but what what do you feel can be done to kind of further bridge that gap mhm yeah i think the um, summer it's the summer of what could be done is as as short as less mentorship more investments um i think we just move away from mentorship programs for women um you know act, yeah just instead of just like telling women how to do, how to do it how to raise how to just give them funding um and so i think i mean i obviously appreciate a lot of um a lot of the new funds coming up uh, i think also there's probably an increased need for support of uh, imagining female f- female founders um it's extremely difficult for f- female fund managers sorry it's extremely difficult for female fund managers to raise their first fund without prior experience of running a fund whereas um the I guess male counterparts don't face similar challenge um and so yeah would say getting more funds run by women will ultimately also contribute to more um also female startups being being raised and they also don't need they also don't need to be fully focused on 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 funding for women but just you know if you have that kind of general diversity balance within organizations then or doing within different funds then you then see also those decisions to invest or fund more 
more uh, female founders also come more naturally. Um, I think very proud to see that. I think within Naiban, I think we were on a 62% um, investment in, in women founders, in female founders, actually. Um, and I would say it happened very organically. It's just more of a thing we look back and like, oh, wow, 62%. I think it's actually 74, but let me stick with 62 because I'm not sure. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's awesome. And like you said, it isn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't a strategy to go and hit that 62 or 74%. It's more just a natural thing as you make decisions based on yeah. which companies are promising businesses and kind of, you know, don't kind of play any biases in any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, at Nipon, kind of, what is perhaps the, the strategy or the focus moving forward then? And what are the, the longer term plans for the network? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say we're, still, I mean, we're definitely still figuring things out. Um, definitely looking to, I think, looking to see how to syndicate for in different investments faster, make it much easier for people to just take on deals and, and invest in them. Um, and... Yeah, I would say just once we have that figured out in the next few years, we can be able to see what what the future would look like. Okay, perfect. Um, and with Nipon, what perhaps would be the best way for, you know, if there are any founders listening to this podcast and people generally just want a bit of help and a bit of guidance on, you know, how to approach this market and how to kind of get eyes on their businesses, what's the best way for people to reach out to yourself or kind of be a part of the network? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, so we join, we get new people into the cohort every, I'd say, every quarter. Um, and so there's basically a form on our website to, to either join us to submit your, to submit your invest, your, in, your, your pitch deck to, to be looked into. Okay, perfect. We'll, we'll make sure we share that information. But thanks so much for your time, Dan. I think some really, really insightful topics there. Um, and I'm sure a lot of whoever's listening to this will definitely get a lot of value out of it. But appreciate you being so generous with your time as always. Um, and yeah, if anyone has any questions about you know, getting their businesses investment ready, Diana's definitely the person to reach out to. So hopefully there's a fair few people kind of messaging you on LinkedIn after this. I hope so. Door is open. All right. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thank you. I hope everyone found that insightful. What I found particularly interesting is, you know, how startups should be positioning themselves in front of investors and also the topics around, you know, the need for a stronger local funding ecosystem. um, And of course, how to get more female led startups, um, which ties back to actually having more female led investment firms in the first place. Uh, So, yeah, Diana, thank you so much for that. It was uh, amazing. And next week, we're going to be diving into a topic that actually is quite topical at the moment, um, especially in Africa, which is data centers. And we'll be speaking to one of the leaders within the industry who's helped build one of Africa's leading data center companies. So really excited to share that one with everyone and look forward to seeing you all next week.